There are many what I call sledgehammers in the Word of God. Uh, you'll be trucking along, reading your business, and thinking everything's okay, then boom, you get hit with a sledgehammer. Well, before us today, there's such a sledgehammer. Read Exodus chapter 22, verses 25 and 26. We're going through the law. Remember, they're at, the, at Sinai, that relief there at Sinai, and uh, they're given pieces of the law. Chapter 22, verses 25 and 26. If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as an usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usuring. It's talking about interest. Don't be as a banker. Don't be as a shrewd person adding interest upon that loan. If thou lend money, excuse me, Verse 20, I said, right, verse 25. If thou at all take thy neighbor's, this is verse 26, if thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge or as, as a collateral or as a security, thou shalt deliver it unto him by that the sun goeth down. For that is his covering only, it is his raiment for his skin. Wherein shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me that I will hear, for I am gracious. The title of the message is God is gracious. He gives us understanding of his grace by talking about lending. But the message is God is gracious. God is gracious. What does it mean to be gracious? show pity or favor, to show mercy or compassion, to stoop in kindness to someone that is inferior. Gracious. He doesn't, he doesn't further explain it. He just says, for I am gracious. You look at through the scripture and and you might find that it's a very interesting place to, to read God saying, I am gracious, as the mountain was on fire and quaked and had smoke, and they were intimidated and said, Oh, speak, Moses, to God, lest we die. But there you see God himself saying, I am gracious. So for, he, for him to say, I am gracious, we can believe without controversy that he's gracious. What do we understand? Just if you, This is page 84 of the Bible I'm reading out of. What do we understand on pages 1 through 84 about the graciousness of God? You see the condescending of God showing kindness to an inferior being. When he administered unto Adam and Eve, when he said unto them, In the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. And yet he clothed them. Talk about showing kindness to an inferior. He showed kindness to his enemy, Adam. He had compassion upon his enemy, that rebel against his majestic throne. God is gracious. God is gracious. You see that God is gracious in his condescending 
in the administration of the Exodus. That's an evidence that God is gracious. Remember in Exodus chapter 3, the scene of the burning bush? And God said, My people have cried unto me in the affliction of their taskmasters, and I have heard them from heaven, and I am come down to deliver. God is gracious. He showed pity toward a people that every step along the way, Moses, just leave us alone. Let us to our bondage, Moses. Leave us alone. Yet he was merciful. Compassion. God is gracious. God was gracious when he condescended in administering the, the very law that we read of. And at every step in the law, we see the grace of God. Yes, you shall have no other gods before me, but I am your God, he told them. You shall not make an image of anything else because I am your God. At every step, God condescending to to evidence his law, to tell his people what manner of people they were to be, God showed compassion on these inferior beings. The law evidenced our true inferiority, meaning that at every point of the law we are guilty of sin against God. Yet in his kindness, he did expose those things and evidence it in the law. He, he condescended. He stooped to the inferior. God is gracious. God is gracious, Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest peace of goodwill toward men on earth. What a condescension for the Almighty to be made like unto his brethren, to show compassion, stooping to the inferior, making himself a ransom for sin. God is gracious. God is gracious. The gospel is, is an evidence of that. So again, the, the original covering of Adam and Eve, an evidence that God is gracious. The exodus that these people had just experienced, an evidence that God is gracious. The law presented. In the law itself, he tells them, I am gracious. Read it. I am gracious, he says in verse 27, 26. I'm gracious. All these things pointing to the administration of the gospel, the grace of God. The grace of God hath appeared unto all men. It's what Titus, Paul wrote to Titus. The grace of God that hath appeared unto all men. So he presents this phrase that he is gracious through the understanding or through the through the lens of lending. Okay. When he says in verse 25, if thou lend money, what is lending? It's it's granting use of something with an understanding of its return. Okay? If I lend Lex a fork, I expect him to return that fork. Okay? God is gracious. These aren't independent thoughts. These, These thoughts are harmonious. He says, do these things, for I am gracious. Well, in doing these things, we understand more of who he is. Okay. God lends. Okay. Look at Exodus chapter 19. 
as they had approached unto Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 5. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. So whose possession is Israel? God's possession. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. What can we gather from that? If, if, if all the earth is his, then they're not their own. God had lent them their time and their space and everything for a season, but they belong to God. They are granted use of their existence with the understanding that they report back and shall be returned unto God. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Deuteronomy chapter 10 supports that claim. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 15. And ye shall, excuse me, that's chapter 12. Let me get to chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his way, all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also and all that is therein. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. They were told by Moses that they were the possession of God. They were to report to him in their living, in their keeping, and in their love, and everything they did. God lent them time. God lent them space. God grants the use of our lives unto us with the understanding that we will return these things back unto him. We think all that casting of crowns is all about. Returning all the things that he has given us unto him. What does he lend us? Again, God is gracious. He administers compassion and mercy. He stoops in kindness to the inferior. What does he lend us? He, lend, he, he has lent me life. That's right. Do I have life of myself or did God give it to me? And what happens at the end of my life? What happens? People use the phrase, give up the ghost. He, when the Lord himself, when he bowed his head, he said, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. Well, one day, children of God, our lives will be commended back unto the Lord in our death. Yep. 
the time and the space and the life he has given us, the breath and the heartbeats and everything about our living, he has lent us for just a little while. Isn't God gracious? He's lent me 40 year, 43 years. I don't know how long, I don't know how long this will go. He lends some more than others. The we should be thankful for the life that he lends us. And how do we express our thankfulness toward God and his and his grace toward us and his lending of our lives? How do, how should we express that? Well, as we read in Deuteronomy, we love him, serve him, keep his commandments. That just makes sense. He lends us time. Well, life and time, they're kind of the same, but kind of not. He lends me life, but the space of time also, and what do we do with that time? Everybody has 24 hours a day, but it seems like some people have more time in their day than others. Have you ever noticed that? Some people don't get very much accomplished in their life, and some people get very much accomplished in their life. What, what, the, the time that God has lent us, how productive are we with that time? Do we perceive that the time that we have, we say, oh, this is my time. I, I need time for me. Well, what time did God give you that's time for you? Did the Lord say, okay, well, church of Jerusalem, I want you doing this and be my witness and go here and go there. And, and by the way, I want you to take a Mediterranean cruise and just really unwind and relax yourselves every couple of years. Did he, did he tell them that? No. He lends us time. He lends us his creation and he re and resources. I believe I don't believe that we're gonna one day, you know, fly so many airplanes and drop so many atomic bombs that we're gonna blow up God's creation. I don't believe that. That's right. I believe God's word speaks about those things, but I also believe that he had, he gave Adam a charge to be a steward over his creation. We should be wise with the creation that God has lent us to take care of such things as what we have space in. But he's, he's lent it to us. So then, when we drink of his water or we drink of his fruits and eat, and eat uh, of the meats that he has provided and, and he lends us these things, aren't you glad that he didn't just... just Lend us Brussels sprouts. You know, I'm glad. Some of y'all might like that, but I'm glad he didn't only lend us Brussels sprouts. He, he lended us a variety of things in his creation to enjoy and to seek his face by. He lends us blessings. God is so gracious. He lends us blessings of home, of family, uh, 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 of one another, to bless one another and love each other and provoke one another and love in good works. He lends us blessings. We sing a song, count your many blessings. Well, count them indeed, the blessings that God lends unto us. We've been blessed with liberty and freedom for a while, and that, we're going to really appreciate that when it slips away like a vapor. God is so gracious. He lends us others. Look in our text, Exodus 20. 22 and verse 25 if thou lend money to any of my people he lends us one another right so how I treat you child of God you're not mine you're God's 
and how you treat, treat me. I, I'm not yours. I'm God's. When you see the instruction that Peter was giving in 1 Peter in chapter 5 to the, to the elders, he says, I'm also an elder. That you're to be, uh, to be, uh, uh, take the oversight for those assemblies. They're the Lord's heritage. The Lord's. We speak often of the Lord's church. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's His. And one day He will receive His prospective bride unto Himself. And there will be a marriage ceremony. Be returned unto Him. But thank God He gives us one another. He gives us others. That we can evidence the graces of God among one another. God does lend. All that we would lend, we have by the grace of God. If you look in 1 Corinthians, please, 1 Corinthians and chapter 4. And this is, this is super important. There's, there's a lot of implied practicality here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. For who who maketh thee to differ from another? So why does one person have and another person have not? Well, it's because I work so hard. Okay, well, who gave you the work ethic? It's because I'm so smart. Well, who gave you the so smart? Well, I'm not so smart, but I'm driven. And man, I studied a whole bunch. Well, who gave you the drive? Well, my field, it, 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 you know, it produces better, so I have more and I can afford more. And I have whatever. Well, who made your field to produce more? Who, who put the nutrition in that ground? Well, I did. I fertilized it. Who gave you the knowledge to do that? Yep. You see, everything comes back God. to God and His grace. Amen. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? That's right. Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Why are you glorying like it's yours or you came by it. So everything that we have, we have by the grace of God, that God is gracious. We also see that it's a grace of God that his people would be in a position of being lenders. Okay? So what if everybody in Israel was a borrower? Think about that. They were to be a a nation of workers. Six days shalt thou labor, and on the seventh you shall rest. They were to be a nation of doers and getters and goers and believing in the Lord. They were to continue and receive all the promises of God, a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, they'd be carrying these these great bushels, and and, and it'd take two men to carry them. And that by God's grace. That by God's grace. So just as God, being owner and possessor of all things, would be gracious and stoop and give, then those children of God, being following after in the pattern of God, would likewise live in the blessings of God and bestow those blessings upon others. That's where the lending comes in. But think about it in our personal lives. A lot of folks have their hand out, right? Children of God, we should desire following the Lord to be able to help those in need. That we would desire to help to, to, to help and show love and compassion and kindness. Think about Philip. 
when Paul and his company were going through, what did Philip do? Now it might have been rice and beans, but he housed that company and he fed them. He lent of his goods. He lent of his home. He lent of his resources. He lent of his daughters. Remember the, 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 those girls that they were prophetesses. They, were, they would speak of the things of God. He was lending them all that he had of all his substance, everything that he had. He lent. Thank God he was able. And it could, it could have been a meager lending. Sometimes it's, our lending is meager because we're meager, but helping someone else even in our meagerness, that other person must be at a, at a place of even more meagerness. So then, lending. Lending would be an evident grace of God because he lends. And lending also, it, it would be something that a child of God should desire to do. Okay. But you notice the caveat here in verse 25. If thou lend any to my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be put to him as an usurer, or neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. Applying usury, applying undue interest or gain, that's an evidence of mercilessness and gracelessness. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, Leviticus, chapter 25, Verses 38, or excuse me, 35 through 38. Leviticus chapter 35. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35. Leviticus 25, 35. And if thy brother be waxen or grow poor, doesn't mean he started poor, means he grew poor, wasn't always poor, and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt receive him, yea, though he be a stranger. Or a sojourner, a Gentile, that he may live with thee. Take thou no usury or interest of him. Not take interest, meaning no care. Just don't take excessive of him. Or increase. But fear thy God. You see the contrast, that word fear. But fear. Someone that puts on usury over their brother or their neighbor is lacking the fear of God in them. That's strong language. Yes, it is. Right there in black and white. Read it for yourself. That, that, that thy brother may live with thee. Thou shalt not give him thy money upon usury, nor lend him thy victuals for increase. Don't mark it up and take advantage. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt. What does he cite? God himself, when speaking of usury, said, don't do it, because I'm gracious. I delivered you. You were poor. I brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Applying usury evidences mercilessness, gracelessness, and fearlessness before God. Do you know what? You think about the grace of God, God being gracious. The Lord does not require more back than what was given. Think about that for a minute. God does not apply, He is not a usurer, nor does He apply usury. What do you mean? The exact 
penalty of sin that I owed, my exact debt was paid for by Jesus Christ, no more, no less, and no interest was calculated. Think about that. No interest was calculated. My poorness, my destituteness was evaluated precisely. It says in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, when you, when you consider that God, that he lent me this life, and in lending me this life, I squandered it and sinned against God, yet he did not impose any type of interest upon it. But the exactness of that poorness was, was delivered out upon Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That perfection was the exact amount that which was due. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission or forgiveness of these sins is... There is no more offering for sin. That one sin offering, Jesus Christ, satisfied completely in full the exact amount. Amen. No interest. God is gracious. And in his sovereign grace, he saves his people from their sins. The exact amount of poorness was satisfied by Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5. Along these lines, Romans chapter 5, and in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, when we were poor, when we were needy, when we, when in, in our lending, when we were of want in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That word for means in exchange or in substitution of. There was a want, there was a need. For scarcely for a righteous man one would die, yet for adventure, or perhaps for a good man one, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for and in our place for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That justification. As you continue, the word reconciled is a mathematical term. Okay, it, it's it, it, it's a it's it, it's a it's a meaning of equation there. Reconciled things are adding up. It balances the checkbook balances here. You could say, for if when we were enemies, when we were in debt, when we were without strength, when we were sinners. We were reconciled or equated to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus, by whom we have now received the atonement. So God, he lends. He lends and we're poor. He lends. And when he, when he lent us, 
Jesus Christ, you could say. And he did receive Christ back up to himself. He did ascend to the Father, didn't he? Did he not? The ex that exact penalty for sin was paid, and that without, without interest. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. An exact exchange, no interest. Why is all that important? Because the exact penalty of sin is required of sinners outside of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 20 says that very thing. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 13. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. Listen to this. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written therein in the books according to their works. Not works plus interest, according to the works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. God lent those people a time and a space and a life and his creation and even blessings of sunshine and rain and everything else. He lent messengers of the gospel, and he gave, came to them betimes with, with the gospel. And even the heavens declare the death and resurrection of the Son on a daily basis. They're judged according to their works, not according to their works again and, 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 and interest, but according to their works. God does not. God is gracious. He does not apply usury even to the sinfulest of men. He does not apply usury. Oh, that's unfair. God does not apply usury. Thank God he doesn't. Thank God he doesn't. What more? He says about taking a pledge in, in verse 26. If thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge... Well, that pledge, you know, oh, yes, can I, can, can I have such and such? Yes, well, give me your coat, and I'll let you have such and such. Even a pledge or collateral or security, that for a loan, that's gracious. You might not think it is, but it is. But letting your neighbor de be deprived of his coat is not gracious. But you notice that pledge, the pledge itself, is a measure of grace. The pledge was a form of security for a loan. Okay? So I used to work in a hospital, and they had uh, this little vein finder. Some people were just not very good at, at starting IVs. So we had this little machine. It was a vein finder. And, and it would go missing often. And it'd be found in, in some kind of closet somewhere, stuck in a vacant room or whatever. And it, 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 it would always turn up, but it would go missing on a regular basis. So what I started doing, because we, they keep that vein finder in the intensive care unit, whenever someone needed the vein finder, I would say, okay, give me your badge. Give me your badge. The little work badge. Why would I say that? Because to clock out, you needed your badge. Boop. And nobody was going to clock out without their badge. 
And if they can't clock out, they can't go home. Guess what? They're going to return to me, the vein finder, before they leave. Right? That was a pledge. Some people need help remembering that they have obligations. You know, some people, I might not ask them for a pledge. Oh, yes, I know you. You'll bring it back. Go ahead. But other people need frequent reminder of their responsibilities and their obligations. And these pledges are a form of grace. Why do you say that? Taking a pledge from somebody is an act of grace because it protects your neighbor from at least two different sins in this loan. Okay? What do you mean? Exodus chapter 12, uh, 20 and verse 15. Thou shalt not steal. You know what it is when you borrow from somebody and you don't bring it back? What's that called? Brother Gary, what's that called? You borrow something you don't bring it back? Theft. So taking a pledge from someone who may or may not be as trustworthy as you like, you're protecting your neighbor from theft. You're protecting your neighbor from sin against God. Now the person who has to give up the pledge might not see it that way. But that's where our hearts need to be. Hey, can I borrow your van? Sure. Um, whatever. Take a pledge. If you don't trust me, take a pledge. I shouldn't be offended by that. Neither should you. It is an attempt to help someone maintain their obligations, but specifically not sin against God. That's a sign of love, to protect someone from sinning against God. If I love my wife, I will, I will as, as a husband, I will protect her as best I can from sinning against God. So then taking a pledge is not an act of cruelty. It's an act of, an act of mercy. It's an act of compassion. God himself, God himself takes pledges sometimes of his people. Doesn't he? I believe that he does. That he, as a form of security, that he ensures with his people. How does he do that? Well, I believe giving of the Holy Spirit is a part of that, that it's a pledge, that it's a, the, the down payment of, of, of salvation, you could say. But this grace, it protects us from, from turning and spoiling unto sin. The Spirit confessing with our spirit and convicting us of, of sin is a form of pledge that God has given to his people. I truly believe that. A gracious neighbor protects his neighbor from turning a loan into a theft. A gracious neighbor also protects his neighbor from turning a loan into covetousness. Verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. Well, how would that protect it? I'll tell you what. If you start coveting my house and, and my servant and my ox and whatever, but you know I got your coat and you know it's about to get in the teens in the next couple days, that will really, in a practical way, deter your covetousness because now you, you need back, right? You need back. It's a gracious thing at times. He didn't say all the time. 
the verse 25 and 26, those are two different ifs. The second, the verse, the verse 26, if thou take thy neighbor's raiment to a place, he doesn't, he doesn't say you got to do it all the time, but there are times where it is appropriate. Yet taking that coat as a pledge and withholding the clothing of the raiment would also be a measure of cruelty or lacking grace. You see, you could fall in the ditch on both sides. If you're, if you're prone to theft and I don't take a pledge, I could be a, contributing to your theft. But if, if, you, if you're prone to theft and I take your coat for a pledge and it's about to be real cold outside and I don't give you your coat back, now, now I have sinned in the measure of cruelty, not grace, cruelty. The person who's borrowing obviously is in need, right? I don't borrow something unless I need one having a pledge applied is obviously a special kind of poor. Okay, if a, if a pledge is required, that means also they're poor in character, probably also, or at least have been in the past. Yet that one is still a person. They might be poor without finances, and they might be poor of character, but they're still a person. And the pattern of grace, the pa- God says, uh, he says in verse 27, I am gracious. The pattern of the graciousness of God is always to be followed by his people. James chapter 2, you, you see the New Testament logic here. In James chapter 2, the people of God are to exercise grace as God exercises grace. And we're to exercise mercy and compassion toward those who, who uh, are without, or that they are wanting or lacking. James chapter 2, verse 14. What doth the prophet, my brother? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Now, yeah, they're the children of God. They're there at Sinai. They're Israel. They're the seed of Abraham. But what does that mean? God says, be like me, and I'm gracious. That's what he says in our text. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, if they're poor and they need, forget about lending, they need. And one of you say unto them, depart in peace. Be warmed and filled, notwithstanding. You give. No, he doesn't say lend. Right? That's right. Give. Give. And you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does the prophet? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee thy faith by my works. A lot of people say they have faith. How does it turn out? A lot of people say they, they have faith. A lot of people say, Oh, yes, I love God. In our text, how does it turn out? If God is gracious... And he exercises his graciousness in his lending without usury and and taking pledges, yet without depriving of those basic needs. Christ himself said he reigns on the just and the unjust alike. Children of God, God is gracious and so ought we to be. Notice that he says that hears the cries of the poor. 
in verse 27, for that is his covering only, it is his raiment for his skin, wherein shall he sleep, and, and it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me that I will hear. God hears the cries of the poor and the pitiful and the afflicted and the wanting. And he is gracious. He said, I will hear for I am gracious. He hears them and he's gracious. Not hearing someone is pitiless and wicked. Not not lending to them or, or, or holding usury or holding someone's raiment is a total lack of grace. For which God says, I'm not like that. I'm gracious. He says, I am gracious. I'm glad the Lord hears the cries of the poor and needy. And you know what? He doesn't just hear the, the cries of the poor and needy. Find a case in the Bible where God heard the poor, the cries of the poor and needy and withheld supply. Find a case in the Bible where he heard the cries of the poor and needy and he does not extend himself to them. God hears the cries of the poor and needy and it appears to me that he purposes to supply the needs of the poor and needy. This passage is speaking to the children of Israel that they were to likewise purpose to supply the poor and needy and to do it in a gracious way after the pattern of godliness. Like manner, these prompts of lending are to encourage the hearer. They're encourage me and encourage you to hear the cries of the poor and needy, not to be deaf to them, but to hear them. To give such as we have. I believe charity starts at home. But to give such as we have. We live in such a society where there's more hands that are sticking out than hands that are able to, to hand over. There's a deficit there. But I believe the children of God, being the children of God who is gracious, are to follow his pattern in graciousness. We're to hear the poor and needy. But to hear the poor and needy without intention or purpose to supply with grace, it's empty. And that's exactly what James was saying. You say you're the children of God and you hear the cries of the needy and they do need and you don't lend or if you lend with cruelty or you lend and, and you and you don't and you let them uh, you say, OK, be warm and be filled. But they're cold and, and they're starving. Where's the grace in that? Where's the where's the godliness in that? Withholding hearing is gracelessness. Withholding supply when fitting and able is gracelessness. Now, some would, would suppose that it's gracelessness not just to just take somebody to raise. Well, I'm not going to take a grown person and raise them just because they don't feel like doing anything. That's not what he's talking about here. These are people that, that in their lives that they're struggling and they have need. And this is now accounting for laziness because he said, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Old Testament, New Testament. That's not what's happening here. There are simply people that are, that for one reason or the other, they are in need. So, 
God is gracious. God is gracious. If God is gracious, and we know that he is because he says he is in verse 27, it says in black and white, for I am gracious. If God is gracious, so ought men to be to one another. If God can stoop in kindness to an inferior being, which is his enemies, it's exactly what it says in 1 John chapter 4. If he can love us, we ought to love one another. If God can show pity and mercy and compassion in condescending for covering Adam and Eve and condescending and delivering Israel from, from Egypt and condescending and giving them the law and condescending and the gospel of Jesus Christ, if he can show compassion, if God is gracious, and he can lend us our life, our time, resources, all the blessings of life, and, and one another and everything else. If God is gracious, and he is, and he gives us everything that we have, and he purposed everything that we have and all that we do, if God is so gracious, then we ought to follow his pattern. And I believe that's what he's telling Israel in Exodus chapter 22, verses 25 through 26. It's a lot more than than fair lending values. It's a lot more than economics. In a lot of ways, these couple of verses summarize their, the existence of the child of God and in, 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 in the presence of God. If God is who he says he is, then this is how we're to treat one another. God being gracious is not cruel. He's not cruel. It's not a cruel thing for a person to be judged for their sin. That's not a cruel thing. It's not a cruel thing for someone to experience the consequences of their behavior. That's not a cruel thing. God is not cruel. He's holy. He's just. He's not cruel. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's kind. He's gracious. He is not cruel. Because God is not cruel, neither should we be cruel. God is not without compassion. He said, I am gracious. God is not without compassion, and neither should we be. God is not compassion, and neither should Israel have been in their lending and taking care of the poor and those in need and those that, that, that the sun was going down and they had an immediate need. They were to not be without compassion. They were not to be cruel. They, not, they were not to be merciless or graceless. They were to have grace. They were to have compassion and mercy. They were to be like God. Children of God, thank God that he is gracious. I mean, think about everything that he's lent you. Can you imagine? I mean, we talked about the kingdom earlier this morning. Can you imagine that God has given us the kingdom? What if, what if I said, okay, well, well, here's a court order. God has signed it. God has given us the state of Texas. Or what if, what if, what you know, people can can get with NASA and they can find these stars way out there. They're being discovered all the time. Say, okay, I want I want to name that star after my first dog or whatever. And people people can have a star that is dedicated to them. What if I said, you know, there's something way out there that God has deeded you. God is gracious. He has given, he has lent us a sliver of the kingdom of God. Yes, God is gracious. God is gracious. He has saved us from our sin. 
God is gracious. He has given me a life to live. He has saved me from my sin. He has given me a, a, a mouth and feet and an operating body. He has put me in his Lord's, in His assembly. Thank God that he put us with one another. He, he, they gave, he gave them the camp that they could lend and interact. And, and it was even a grace for those in need that, that God put those around that could help. Thank God he gave us one another. God is gracious. If we spent time considering lending and just thought about how gracious God is toward us, it would overwhelm us. Thank God that while he lends, he does so without usury. You know, he's not going to hold it. He's not going to hold it all over my head. All, I, you know, so, I don't believe it'll be a, I don't believe eternity will be a browbeating for the believer. Right? He's not, there's not going to be usury held over, over, over our heads. In, in the book of Ephesians, quite the opposite. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that in the ages to come, he might show, exceeding, show the exceeding riches of his grace. I'm gracious of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. He's not going to exact usury and browbeat us. In fact, if you can even fathom it, we're going to come out ahead over time. Not, not, not with interest, but, but with come out ahead. By interest, you know what I mean by interest. Something costs $10, you apply a 2% interest, you got to pay the $10 plus the 2%. You owe more. Well, we're not going to owe more. We're going to be given more. And more and more and more exceeding riches of his grace. Thank God. Thank God that God is gracious. Thank God that while at times he does take a pledge, that he is not mercilessness. He is not merciless, nor is he cruel in doing that. He's not merciless and he's not cruel. He does get his point across. I said sometimes some people need help remembering that they have obligations. Well, sometimes God helps me, helps to remind me that I have obligations toward him. He helps to remind me. And sometimes he might help to remind you. There might be things that are laid upon you that are not laid upon others, but are laid upon you because God knows what manner of person you are. And he lays upon you. A pledge to remind you of your obligations before him and to keep you from sinning against him. That's, that's gracious. Thank God that at times he takes a pledge, but he's not cruel with those things. Thank God that he hears the cries of the pitiful. Thank God. He says, when they cry, I will hear them. Thank God that God is gracious. And he's gracious and he has purpose to supply with all grace. Thank God. Sinner, God does not exact usury. He doesn't. Outside of Jesus Christ, you're going to get exactly what you got coming. No more, no less. That's still terrifying. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I've lived a decent life. I'm moral and, you know, I don't do this and I don't do that. And thank God I'm not like that guy over there. 
Luke chapter 19. We talked about this yesterday before we went out in the ministry. That's an awful, dangerous sin to be self-righteous, isn't it? In fact, Paul, I believe that was why he said that he was the chief of sinners, because the nature of his sin, self-righteousness before God. God has not deprived you of a pledge of raiment. What do you mean? I'm talking about what? What is a what is a pledge of raiment? What is that? What was that? Read it. Verse 26, If thou take all thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, thou shalt deliver it unto him by, by that the sun goeth down, for it is his covering only. It is his raiment for his skin, wherein shall he sleep. It's his covering. It's his protection. It's what he needs against the present elements to keep him from harm. God has not deprived you of a pledge of raiment. But you willfully reject the covering of Jesus Christ. If God has lent you your life and a pledge of covering, the proclamation of the covering of Jesus Christ, it would be as if the man in verse 27 said, You know what? I don't need your raiment. You keep it for yourself. I'm okay against the cold and against the elements and against the night. I have my own covering. Wherein shall you sleep? Well, sinner, you deprive yourself of raiment. It's not that God wants to save you. It's that you don't want to be saved. You don't want to be. The nature of man cries out, willfully rejects the covering of Jesus Christ. God is not cruel. God is gracious. Every, every, every one that cries unto God, look at this, every one, when he crieth unto me, why would somebody cry unto him? Because they know their need and their lack of covering, and they know they're poor, and they, they know that the night is here, and they know what's at hand, and they cry unto God in their need. Someone that's not in need won't cry unto God. No, what I have is sufficient. Who I am is sufficient. But God is gracious. He hears the cries of the poor and needy, specifically those who are in need of a covering. Those that are in need of a covering, he says, I am great. Excuse me. I am gracious. I will hear. He crieth unto me, I, that I will hear, for I am gracious. In verses 25, 26, and 27, the one thing that's in common is somebody is poor and they need. Those that are in poor need and don't perceive it or don't need it or they, they don't cry unto the Lord, they might cry unto somebody else. But God promises for His graciousness that when someone cries unto Him, that He will hear. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Cry unto the Lord. Asaph said, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Cry unto the Lord, for he is gracious. God is gracious. Are you in need? I know the answer to that, but do you? 
Are you in need? Cry unto the Lord, and He will hear. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that only fit covering. No other covering will do. It says, for that is His covering only, or His only covering. There is only one covering in the need of eternity, and that is Jesus Christ. It is His raiment for His skin. When God, in His grace, clothed Adam, it said He made them, and He clothed them. He made a specific covering for Adam and a specific covering for Eve. I believe they had very two very different body types. Individually, He fit the need of covering for His people. Only Jesus Christ will do. He is the only fit covering. Is the fit covering for my skin. Now, I might have a body like other people, but I only have one body like mine. There's only one fit covering for you. There can only be one, that is. And that is Jesus Christ. Wherein shall you sleep? Trust me, outside of that covering of Jesus Christ, there is no sleep. I believe that rich man... In Luke 16, he hasn't slept. I don't believe he stopped screaming for some 2,000 years. Wanted a drop of water then, he wants a drop of water now. He's screaming then, send somebody, go tell my brothers. He's screaming now, go tell somebody not to come to this place. There's no sleep, there's no rest, there's no comfort outside of that covering of Jesus Christ. None at all. But all again... To come to pass when that one that is deprived of that covering shall cry unto God, he will hear them. So says the Lord, for he is gracious. Repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. Brother White, please come lead us in a song.